0: So questions are not questions. Questions are actually answers. So people should be aware that asking smart and well-informed questions without pretending you know already everything about your organization, that is a way to earn some additional brownie points.
1: Hi there and welcome to the ninth episode of the UN Job Finder Career podcast by Intolma. My name is Magnus Bucht, and for those of you listening to this podcast for the first time. This is a show for people who are interested in a career within the international development sector, working for international organizations such as the United Nations, European Union, development banks, intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations. We're talking to people who are having a remarkable career in this field, trying to get their stories about how they once entered, choices that they have made, challenges that they have faced, and not least to hear what kind of advice they can share with us. Today, we're going to talk to Jens Behrendt, who at the time of the interview was the Deputy Human Resources Director at the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, OSCE. What you will find in this interview is that it's really packed with food for thought, independent on where you are in your career. Whether you're a new graduate or already a senior manager, I'm sure that you will find Jens' reflections, stories and advice really worth listening to. He is a person who has, since the start of his career, has been going back and forth into international organizations, which also has given him some outside perspective on how these organizations work. As you will hear, he is a strong believer in multilateralism and what international organizations do and deliver and at the same time he is also quite critical. Jens will also share personal stories such as when he was taken hostage at an early point in his career. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation and without further ado we'll get right into the interview. I'm very excited to have Jens Berendt as our guest here at UN Job Finder Create Career Podcast. Jens, welcome and wonderful to have you with us. Thanks for the invitation. Very pleased about this. Great, Jens. So Jens, Jens is the Deputy Director for Human Resources at the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe osc and you've had a career with you've previously been working for the center of international peace operations as their head of hr you've always kept a close link to the academic world and you've also been working for a number of years for the united nations development program undp so jens with that short summary which i hope was correct please tell us a bit more about who you are
0: Uh, Thanks a lot. Yes, well, it is correct. And uh, one of the striking things that I experienced when I joined the uh, OC was everybody told me, oh, yes, you have a, a UNDP. Uh, background: The OSCE is not a development organization. We're security. We're political. We're the real guys. And I said, "Well, I don't quite understand because, in terms of methodology, you work with projects, you do capacity building in our participating states, be it in Kosovo or Tajikistan or in uh, in Ukraine. We do training. Uh, we advise governments on uh, lawmaking and legislation." Um, all these things that other international organizations, including in the u n system also do, uh, so there are a lot of similarities, but there's of course this whole uh, identity about being different, um, which uh, is quite striking when you when you join because you have to get used to this uh, kind of micro universe of a different multilateral organization. Um, so it was a bit of a, a learning experience here, but um, the the u n the u n experience was extremely valid and applicable and relevant for my work here with the OCE. And a lot, especially in human resources management, the way we recruit and the way we uh, contract people, the way we measure performance is very similar too because what we see is this kind of a mainstream uh, within multilateral organizations to do those things and there's some Mm. established practices. Um, So in a way, moving from one organization to another is uh, is not that difficult, and a lot of my colleagues have done this.
1: Mm. So, so when you tell us when you were working with the, um, for example, UNDP, and, and mm. where you where were you located? Have you been
0: moving around in the world? Um, well, I joined as a as a JPO, a junior professional officer, in in ninety four, uh, in a place called UN Volunteers or the UN Volunteer Program. Right. Uh, at that time, headquartered in Geneva, um, which was a fantastic thing, and it's still, it's still a fantastic program, and it's a success story uh, within the UN, no doubt about that. But I had the the uh, the advantage of having worked in Africa before. I had two years of, of post um, degree uh, experience, uh, and I had I uh, was a project coordinator in Ghana. I was uh, familiar with the microcredit and microenterprise programs, and this is why I joined UNV. Um, and uh, it was a great experience because it's a fairly small headquarters with about 150 staff. So even as a, as a junior officer, you get a lot of responsibilities early on hmm. uh, for the budget, for people, for steering uh, projects, for fundraising, um, all these things. So you're involved in every aspect of program management uh, very early on and with fairly little supervision uh, because everybody is, is, is needed. Um so that was a wonderful experience and a and a very intense learning period yeah uh and that also gave me the the opportunity to move within the u n v program We moved to bonn as the first u n entity to join um german germany as a as a host country right uh to set up the u n center in bonn and then uh, i became the uh, area manager for southeast asia um and um after well, six years at, uh, at uh, headquarters, um, I did the next move and I moved to Jakarta to join the UNDP country office uh, to set up a program uh, uh, for local governance. Hmm. So it's, um, it was wonderful to also leave headquarters and go back to the field. Right. Uh, because it uh, always, I think it's very useful and it's, it's some advice to everyone to work in the UN uh, now that there's a whole discussion about mobility and people have to move around um, and, uh, and they have to accept this. Uh, it's not only that, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of, of fairness within the organization that people move around mm-hmm. and don't get stuck in Geneva or in New York all their career but also in terms of establish your own uh, street credibility as a professional. Mm. And you capitalize on that and you benefit from that for the rest of your career if you've done different things in the field and headquarters.
1: Mm.
0: No, absolutely. And you you also learn a very important lesson, which is that um, there's not one UNDP – or uh, just to take as an example of a, of, a, of a field-based, decentralized organization, because they're like 150, because each country office is very different. And the headquarters in New York or the UNV headquarters in Bonn is very far away, like sometimes a different planet.
2: Hmm. And
0: you have to manage your own program. You have to find your own solutions in the place where you are. Um, and um, despite modern technology and all that, you still have to be an independent professional in your own duty station.
1: Absolutely. Ah. No, that's really interesting. I think, it, and we can see some similarities. I mean, we um, had a previous discussion with Julia, Watt, she, um from yep. ITU, who also started as a as a JPO, and uh, he, um, I did that, that as well in mm-hmm. in my career. And and the, uh, we've also written a a good article, I would say, about the, um, the UNV, so mm-hmm. which is also an excellent entry point into yep. the um, into this sector. Yeah. So that's thank you for sharing that, Jens. Um, I mean, as we can hear, you've had a very interesting career so far, and, and we'll get more into that um, soon. Um, but tell us why what was it that made you wanted to step into this sector, and then what was the um, what was the the first entry point? You said that you were working in 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 Ghana. Was it the um, mm-hmm. Before you even joined UNV, so what, yes, what made you drawn to this sector?
0: Um, when I start, when I studied political science, uh, before I was very much interested in like political theories and uh, and sociology and all that. And as it, I think for many people, um, what happened is uh, that I met one person who kind of pulled me into this whole international world. Uh, it was about East Asia and China and she made a, a huge difference to my professional life and I told her later on <laughs> uh, when I bumped into her at university that, you know, you don't probably, you don't even know your impact on me. Right. In, in hindsight, I must say, you know, you, you left a mark on, on my life in terms of, well, getting fascinated about international relations. Um, and uh, this is where I focused my studies on. Then I moved on to the German Development Institute for a nine-month trainee program in development management. And I spent a couple of months in Pakistan in the, in the, in the, on the Afghan border to do research. And then I got a job offer from one of the German NGOs, a large political foundation, to join their country office in uh, in Ghana, which was uh, in the uh, early 90s, mm. uh, soon after their first free and fair elections. And there was a lot of things to do, and it was a fantastic experience. And as I said in my previous answer about about... Uh, being remote from, from headquarters, that was a time when, when there was no internet, there was no email, there was no, not even the fax machine worked sometimes. No. Uh, sending a letter took like three weeks, right. and we got the reply back after another two weeks. In the meantime, we had to find a solution. Yeah. <laughs> so we were much on our own, and it was, uh, it was fun. It was, uh, it was great. And we still, do. I think, delivered some quality work uh, without getting 200 emails a day.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you did. So, and I'm sure you. I mean, listening to you, we can hear that you have lots of stories that you can share with us. But could you give a, give us maybe one example of mm-hmm. um, kind of experience that you would like to share with us? A story that you've been that you're proud of, or that has been really rewarding for you?
0: Well, certainly something. I, I actually went back to Ghana in, uh, in about. Well, five years. Well, five years from uh, uh, back in, in 2010, five years ago, um, for another occasion for a conference, and I visited my my in, in, in my old uh, project. And uh, at, in the in the early 90s, we established what we called a business advisory center for small entrepreneurs, car mechanics, uh, to get some training and uh, funding support and all these things. And it still exists. It's still around. Hmm. Um, so in terms of, you know, sustainability is a catchword. Um, we have tried, even in the 90s, to make this more self-sustaining in terms of, you know, also getting uh, income from people paying for the service, which was almost a taboo at that time. So right. you can't have poor people paying for something. Hmm. Well, we actually did it and, um, of course, customized to what people could do. And uh, it, it it paid off in, in a way that it's it's still... Functions and it still provides, you know, the services to uh, to the local uh, business people. Um, so obviously, you know, we've uh, done a, a few good things and it's appreciated. And uh, and also, of course, thanks to the more stable environment in in that country, mm. uh, of course, the kind of uh, the uh, uh, the, pol- the political climate was such that it allowed for some project to. To be sustainable, hmm. but unfortunately, many other countries was not the case. So, of course, one thing is to celebrate some some success, but also be aware of uh, of the failures that you, you go through. And sometimes, you it's not within your own control. No, exactly. But also, one thing is uh, another kind of lesson which I learned from this we also we, we believe that oh yes, we should have like a real credit and loan system. Um, attached to the business center, so that people get that credit and then we looked around and said uh, what's the experience with you know providing like technical service and financial services and we did we, we did take a decision to say no money is not what we could do well and it would undermine the other things we do so we did a deliberate decision not to go into the uh the, the, the banking the retail banking um, so sometimes you also have to just Keep your hands off things hmm. because you may do more damage than good. Right. And I think some some of the uh, some of the development agencies have some difficulty to say, well, there are five other organisations doing that already. Why do we have to be the sixth one? Right. And we really not good technically if we don't have the expertise. In the long run, let's not do it. Right. Uh, which is not always easy to defend. Um. But um, I think it, it did something good.
1: Yeah, yeah no, that, that, uh, I know that. Because I guess not only if you start up a new expertise, but in a way you can also create some competition between yeah. actors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you know, sometimes it's, and this is an experience I had in, in Indonesia. Uh, again, I joined, I had the privilege of joining at a very uh, exciting time. After Suharto was uh, was uh, ousted from his office as a president, and a lot of things happened in the country, there was this whole idea of let's uh, let's strengthen the the cities and the municipalities, let's create a new political culture, and uh, UNDP was to be at the forefront of of, of international support to that hmm. uh but however there were only other uh, also other organizations including you know the asian development bank and the world bank and some bilateral donors and everybody wanted to do the same thing hmm. so these poor counterparts you know they had lots of delegations every week and uh, the word kind of money was thrown at them almost and um and then UNP had the idea of well, let's coordinate everything we do with everything else happening in this area and with all the other donors, and it you know which made us being kind of almost paralyzed. Uh, we have to wait for the World Bank until they have managed their program and they can start with the implementation. And also, so in the end, we did nothing because we were waiting to be you know to be part of a larger effort which didn't occur. Hmm. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you, 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 coordination is a nice thing, but it, it's just not realistic. No. Um, and we made a painful uh, experience in terms of, well, we were inactive for months and months because, you know, obviously not, the rest was not waiting for UNDP to be coordinating this. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the world is moving on and we should have done it as Unity. Just do our own thing sometimes, carve out our own niche and do it well. Yeah. Well, we all learn by experience, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, great, yeah, Jens. Thanks for for sharing that. Um, well, going from those um yeah, experience that you've had, that you can say that has been, um, of course, rewarding for you. What would you say have been the the maybe the greatest challenge? I mean, the things that really have kept you awake at night when we had a discussion here before the we started the, the podcast mm. um, you were mention, mentioning some of the challenges that you faced with oCE so uh, but maybe that's not what has been the greatest challenge but tell us something about um, the, the types of questions or issues that have been keeping you awake at night <laughs>
0: <laughs> well um, different things um, of course now since i'm i'm working for the OCE, which is a large security organization. Of course, we have teams and people and colleagues uh, uh, on the ground in areas which are high risk and hostile, um, including Ukraine, but not only Ukraine. Um... And before working for UN volunteers, we had, uh, of course, large contingents of volunteers in South Sudan and in Dorfur and in Timor-Leste and other people. At times when there was warfare and there was, uh, uh, of course, also the UN became a target, Hmm. uh, unlike, you know, many decades before. Um, Now, blue helmets and the civilians were not kind of untouchables anymore. Um, And uh, and that, of course, sometimes, you know, you had... um, you were wondering, you know, will I wake up the next day with, uh, you know, somebody who suffered from an attack mm. or, or casualties, uh, which we actually had, sadly enough. Um, so th- that, that, that's one thing that is, of course, also leaves kind of a, a psychological impact on you. Mm. Um, this constant concern about people working for you, but uh, in a place where you can only help so much. Mm. Um, and uh, they expose themselves to a risk. They do that. Um consciously um and of course we try to to help them with everything we can to minimize that risk, but they have to be aware when you and this is where you join such a you know kind of emergency operation, also as a humanitarian aid worker, mm. you have to be aware you take some risk it 's calculated risk, but um uh, sometimes you know things are not. Uh, under your control, I I I was taken hostage at one stage in in, in northern Ghana in two thousand in in ninety four, oh. um, for uh, for only for like half a day. But it was very critical, and I was uh, I was uh, quite close to be to be shot. Uh, and it was kind of a, a coincidence with many unfortunate things happening at the same time. Uh, nobody was to blame for that, mm. um, but it just happened, and uh, and it just reminds you that sometimes you're walking a thin line. Um, and um, but it did not um, change my commitment or determination to work in the, in the for international organisations. Um, uh, certainly, this one one source of concern is the security uh, for yourself or co- for colleagues. Hmm. Um, um, of course, another thing is um, this is more like the homemade, the domestic scene in international organisations, which are. Which is not specific to them because it can happen in any large bureaucracy, which is office politics. Um, uh, sometimes it's politics with a capital P. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, international organizations are very hierarchical. Sometimes I, I, I uh, jokingly refer to them as feudal societies. Uh, I think it has changed a lot because there's a whole new generation of managers with a different approach and more inclusive participatory approaches and, and, and a better understanding of team dynamics and team building. However, um you know still sometimes it's hard to work the system and sometimes you're stuck uh in the bureaucracy and and sometimes you don't get th- good things through and and because uh your your director has uh previously said that this is not going to some be something that he supports or she um so you get stuck for reasons that uh you don't s- see as rational no, um, because they have different principles, different forces at work, and uh, of course, if you if you like become a rebel in your own organization, probably it doesn't help much in terms of your own career, but also in terms of things you want to advance. No. So the question is, uh, how kind of you, you find this kind of you know um, balance between your loyalty, but also um, you know, your own red lines in terms of what do you want to accept what are you fighting for hmm. what do you really want to put your energy behind and what are things that you can't win hmm. uh, and sometimes this can be frustrating or, uh, or tiring as well um, But as I said, this is not unique to international organizations. But of course, you know, it's more complex in international organizations because you have people from very different cultures with very different ideas of loyalty, of uh, seniority, of top-down decision-making and those things. Uh, So um, uh, you shouldn't be naive when you join that uh, Mm -hmm. because you need to know that this can happen and it's not always personal. It's part of the system.
1: Excellent, Jens. I I think that's... Um, one of the things that i wanted to ask you is also i mean obviously you have been able to work your way in this system um and so i mean what kind of personal traits do you have been, that had made your career so successful maybe is that what you're actually saying here that the um um don't be naive, make sure that you find that balance between loyalty and what you what, <laughs> what is worth fighting for and, and and find a way of actually accomplishing mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. even though you are working in a political environment with of course a bureaucracy and a hierarchy so yeah. what yep. have been what 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 are your strengths that have made you is that those areas or is there any anything else that because that way would see would also be valuable for our listeners to hear
2: mm.
0: well there are a number of a number of uh elements in this first of all of course very fundamentally um it's it's whether i believe or not in in multilateralism mm. and i'm i'm a true believer in internationalism and and in its institutional expression mm. uh with the the many the the many uh international organizations um uh, which exist. Um, sometimes they have an image problem because in the in the news, in the international media or national media, they appear as lame ducks. Sometimes mm. endless conferences, uh, long negotiations without results. But in the end, you know this is what it is. And if there were a better solution to that, then you know we'd probably have it. But there, it's it's sometimes it's cumbersome. It takes it's long-winded, uh, and you have to. Um, you have to uh, just uh, be on the ball all the time. We've we've seen it with the, the kind of peace negotiations or, or um, ceasefire negotiations in Ukraine. Mm. Of course, that had a direct impact on my work here since we, my team and I were setting up the Ukraine mission of now almost 900 people on the ground working for the O C Um, So, of course, we were dependent on uh, what do our negotiators and the governments reach and achieve in in Minsk and other places. Hmm. And... uh, um, It's complex, and and such things have become more complex because there are more players involved, players who do not accept certain rules and etiquette of diplomacy. Hmm. Um, So it has even become more complicated. Hmm. But there's there's no shortcut to that. (laughs) Um, And this is something that uh, we need to accept Hmm. and still be optimistic, which is the second kind of key factor. Hmm. Um, And a third one is... um, in terms of career and what, what helps you is I think it helps you to project yourself as a as a, as a, as a reliable and uh, constructive and also consistent professional. It doesn't help you much to have like join an organization and be a fantastic guy in the first six months and do mm. wonderful things and you walk on water but then your energy goes down and you lose interest. Uh, I think... Um, you also need to be able to sustain your energy to manage your, yourself well but then you know, keep up your productivity over a longer period of time and if you have kind of consistent and reliable, especially managers, they want reliable staff they want staff who think in terms of solutions which sounds very kind of uh, pedestrian but it, this is what it is in the long run and not just for a couple of months but for takes two, three, four, five years mm-hmm. as long as you perhaps do a job um, you still need to be able to to uh, to keep up your your, your level and quality hmm. um, over a certain period of time, and that exactly I think establishes your brand as an as an as a as a professional. Hmm. And um, um, that means that, of course, you need to to be able to um, to uh, to also motivate yourself. Um, and of course, this is what uh, what resilience um, means in terms of, you know, even if you have setbacks, you're frustrated because your proposal was turned down, uh, just accept it sometimes, you know. You have to live with that. Hmm. And you go on and do the next things. Um, and what is absolutely key in this is that you're surrounded by people uh, that you have a good rapport with. Hmm. Uh, so you, as, a, as a key ingredient in career, you have to be able to to, uh, to be on good terms with people, mm. uh, to establish an, a network. Of course, if you're thrown into like a, a field operation, uh, be it humanitarian or others, you have to be able to establish a, a kind of a reliable relationship within even a few days. Mm. If You're not made for that. Mm. It's not the right job for you. Um, if you need, you know, if you only get warm with people and you open up after a year or two, probably humanitarian or, or kind of uh, crisis stuff is not good for you right. um, then perhaps you know more research related and, and conceptual work is the, is the better option, the better option. Hmm. Um, so it's this kind of uh, resilience and to also be able to absorb disappointment hmm. um, it's the, uh, the optimism and, uh, and the kind of this consistency um, that, that I think pays off in the long run Mm. Wonderful Jens. I think that that
1: was the um so much value in a couple of minutes that the uh, I I'm really um thankful. I mean I think what you're saying with sort of believing in the multilateralism and, and the commitment um that you need to have to this. Um to be optimistic and and uh, project yourself as a reliable and loyal colleague, Keep up your productivity a, a career is not a sprint it's a, it's a marathon Yes yeah yes. Um, and make sure you, you sustain your energy, keep up the productivity, motivate yourself and and be sure to um, establish and and keep relations yeah. mm-hmm. and that be resilient. I think that's really wonderful
0: and keeping in, in terms of manage, managing relations um it's it's easy to do that you know when things go well and you 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 have good projects and activities or on all that it's it's more challenging if you know there's also kind of interpersonal um Challenges. Sometimes, mm. you know, even as a manager, you have to be able to go to your staff and apologize for something you've done wrong, or the wrong tone you had in in your voice, or, th- or you said the wrong thing. Um, so, you know, you have to be mature enough to to do such things. Mm. Um, and uh, and also, don't you know? Try to be you know. Sometimes, you know, I, this is the feedback that sometimes I got from my own. Um, uh, teammates uh, or team members. I said, you know, sometimes, you know, you, we, we feel that you also, you, you, you kind of uh, um, excited about things uh, positively or negatively. Um, you almost lose your temper, but you're on the kind of manage to control yourself. <laughs> but you also sometimes, you know, we feel that you're frustrated. It makes you human. Right. You don't have to be a boss that's absolutely super perfect. Mm. And also the perfect manners all the time, um, in full control of yourself, uh, optimistic to a, a way that is almost incredible. Um, sometimes they want to see that I'm, I also have my limitations and I'm a human being. It makes me more authentic. Um, as, as long as you don't let this carry you away to very, you know, kind of… Um, hmm destroying relationships or being unproductive or cynical all these things hmm. uh, but also don't be afraid uh, among colleagues or even as a supervisor to just show your human science that Jesus you're not a machine right and it pays off uh, uh, I think a, a great deal hmm.
1: no I perfectly agree with you and I think showing that you are a human um I'm thinking maybe that is something that is needed, especially if you are working um, in in areas in, in mm. and in conflict areas or situations like yourself. I mean, you've been taking hostage. Um, mm. um, you are you are forced to be a human, of course, in those situations. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot keep up a, a facade of, of being something that you are not. No, no. Um, so. Would you say that, actually, that you have been working in these areas, in these situations, have added to that? That you are actually have the ability to to yes. show your personality and show who you are, and and make sure that people actually see that you are, you are you.
0: Um, I think it has. Yes. Um, I, I was in a. I was in a. Um, when it happened in Ghana back in 94 of course i was i was lucky enough to have uh, a, a boss and some people around me who understood what happened um mm. and it t- actually it took a few months until i told my parents what happened <laughs> right <laughs> because they were they, they would have scared to be scared to death uh, yeah. that, we told you <laughs> but um um so i um, some people were in- informed about about that and uh, and luckily hmm. um my boss, you know, he said, you know, I've, I've been a witness to several coups d'états, uh, very violent. Uh, I was in the middle of, of of crossfire, so I know what you've gone through, and this was um, this was very useful for me. Hmm. But it also showed that, um, you know, um, that um, sometimes, you know, you're you're exposed to things, and things can go wrong, hmm. and you should always. Um, it it teaches it, it it teaches me another lesson which is um there is work and there's a job which is very important uh, in my life but it's not everything and it can be over in a minute hmm. uh so celebrate other things as well hmm. um and uh, there's no point in working 15 hours a day uh, first of all, you may not be productive, not even 12 or 10 hours. Sometimes it's needed and you chip in a worker, a weekend or other things, if need be, of course. But then, you know, you also need to let go and you have to give the same to your team. Hmm. Um, and you see that uh, other things matter in life and, and, uh, and career is not everything. Hmm. Uh, and even if the pressure is high... And you, uh, and sometimes in such, you get so much absorbed. Especially, and this is an experience in in the UN as well. You get drawn into. You get absorbed by the mm. the expectations of the organization to you. And uh, and and it's very hard to to take a step back and say, yes, you don't own me. You pay me a, a very decent salary, mm. but you don't own me. Mm. Uh, and there are limitations to what I can provide. I still, I'm 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 a, I'm a very I think. Disciplined and uh, and uh, committed professional, but you don't own me. Mm. Um, And uh, it's very important that you have a a life outside the office, Mm. and you have people who have nothing to do with the UN. Mm. Which, of course, if you if you place in a in a in a in a in a in a place like Juba, it's much more difficult to have that. Uh, But in any normal normal duty station. Get people who have nothing to do with this strange world of UN mm. or uh, EU or other you know organizations. Mm. Um, it, they ground you, which is which is very uh, very important. Exactly.
1: No, well, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think you, that maybe that also adds to that resilience because. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. By having that, you also prepare yourself for that marathon rather than being exhausted by after a sprint, because you get energy from from doing other things, from yeah, yep. meeting people who are not only working in this sector, but you, and getting that into your life.
0: The, mm, the of course, you know, people have certain expectations for their own careers. Um, but one thing I learned is that I mean I had I had like a zig a zigzagging career myself because I left the UN and and joined government service mm. which was foreign ministry and the centre for international peace operations and then I rejoined multilateral organisation uh, the OCE. Um but I never kind of measured my own professional life in terms of okay let's move up to the next grade mm. and the next grade thereafter and. Uh, and uh, so I zigzagged in terms of income, I zigzagged in terms of places I lived, I zigzagged in terms of seniority, mm. and I, of course, zigzagged in terms of uh, my uh, functional area, because I started off with program management and, you know, development aid, mm. and then gradually kind of slided into this human resources type work, which I have passion for, of course. Mm. Um uh, and uh, perhaps this is what I will do for the rest of my professional life, I could well imagine. Hmm. Um, but it's uh, this kind of um, openness to things. And I, I keep my expectations modest <laughs> hmm. uh, because I know that, uh, you know, I have seen people who ra- rise up to kind of rose to D2 level and are now happy to have their P5 back. Hmm. Um, so, you know, don't feel this is uh, this is um, kind of... Um, a failure because no. it's not
2: hmm.
0: and especially with the, the the way the volatile environment in which international organizations work in terms of their own budgeting hmm. and the cycles and the contract cycles and uh, moving from core to project budget and uh, and uh, and 75% of their staff being on short-term contracts and things like that hmm. you know these are things that are beyond your control so just accept it uh, and this also leads to reviewing your own expectations.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, thank you, Jens. I, I want to be, I'm looking at the time now, and I it yep. would be really, I would like to talk some about <coughs> something about, also about OCE. So, yeah. Um, if you, I mean, lots of people, of course, know about those E and, and know what you are doing, but there are probably also a few who, who don't know. So, could, you, could yeah. you please tell us a bit more about what it is that you are working with and, and some yeah. of the challenges you, you are facing? You have mentioned some already, but maybe give us some more information about that.
0: Um, sure, we're a fairly young organisation. We've set up as an organisation uh, only twenty years ago. Um, uh, with a secretariat in Vienna and uh, 21 other um, offices, independent offices around the northern hemisphere, if you like, mainly in uh, Central Asia, in the Western Balkans, in South Caucasus, and now of course our uh, big operation in Ukraine with uh, monitoring, um, the monitoring, uh, the the status of uh, the conflict mm. and the and the different. Uh, 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 um, agreements made in uh, in minsk so it's a political organization it 's a large the largest actually the largest se- uh, regional security organization in the world um and uh it offers international positions in a whole range of different areas uh we have a total of seven hundred and fifty international colleagues mm-hmm. uh if you want like um the the p grades in the u n mm-hmm. uh, professional um Two-thirds of which, however, are seconded through the uh, member states or what we call participating states.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, they come th- to us through their own ministries of foreign affairs. Uh, and we, of course, do have a selection process for them. So, it's competitive. Right. But the first point of contact uh, for many uh, for many job uh, uh, vacancy notices that we publish are ministries of foreign affairs in your own country. Right. Um, And then, of course, we have about 250 what we call contracted positions uh, from P1 to D2 level, um, both in administration, including finance, HR, IT, and uh, programmatic areas, um, backstopping our missions um, in the field um, or working on what we call transnational threats, including money laundering, cybercrime, border management, police affairs, hmm. uh, economic uh, 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 crimes, uh, human trafficking, all these substantive areas, uh, of course, are very, a uh, full range, everything that's somehow related to international security. Right. Uh, so the, the broad mandate of the AOC, of course, is very significant. Hmm. Uh, and we try to have expertise for all of these things, uh, and also, of course, human rights and rule of law um, among our ranks and file. So it's it's fairly broad in terms of the professional uh, uh, areas that we look for, and of course for some jobs we need people who speak Russian, otherwise it's English,
3: mm.
0: uh, and who have a background in uh, in kind of uh, governance issues uh, in different areas, because obviously we don't have executive functions, we have advisory functions, so we advise governments on how to improve the governance in certain security matters. Mm. Um, this is this is what we do. Um, In the future, what, of course, you know, we do scenarios as well as, you know, in terms of what will the OCE in 10 years look like. Um, Probably the times of, like, having large-scale, long-term missions, uh, like in Kosovo, Bosnia, other places where we still are, Hmm. um, may be uh, uh, coming to an end, uh, especially with those countries who move closer to the European Union who have uh, a more stable um, situation. Um, so the OSCE's trademark probably will be to be the, the, the organization of choice when it comes to deploying quick large-scale missions to monitor, to observe, to inspect uh, as an organization uh, which is um, really um, inclusive for East and West Hm and which is a place where these countries and conflict parties can talk, uh, uh, which probably other regional organizations cannot provide for. Um, so this is the kind of strength of the OECD. And of course, you know, for many, for many years, it w- we were not so much in the headlines, apart from election observation. But otherwise, it was a fairly quiet organization, to the point that many confused us with the OECD in Paris. Hmm. Uh, right. Of course, you know Ukraine in that respect was a blessing in disguise because it brought back the O.C. into the media, and we were making the headlines. Hmm. But uh, yeah, OECD, That's kind of a, uh, you know sometimes when we, d- we go out to recruitment missions and fairs. Uh, you know, some people ask us. You know, I can't work for you because I don't speak French. I said, Why do you need to speak French? Oh, because you work in Paris. I said, No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> our secretary is in Vienna, and we have places. You know, in, in, in uh, we have offices in 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 twenty two different places. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, of course, we advertise all our positions um, on our website mm-hmm. osce.org, uh, dot org, um, both for seconded. Uh, contracted, but also short term opportunities, and we do the usual um, um, we have the usual selection methodology in terms of written tests and interview um, and and those things, so nothing special hmm. um, and nothing unpredictable no oh.
1: so if you look at now maybe in the in the near future, are there any specific areas that you are specifically targeting i mean key areas or regions or um skill sets that you are in need of
0: um well as i mentioned there, nothing that would stand out um hmm. yes we need the substantive experts or people with some background um uh, for example kind of a human rights expert for ukraine or um somebody to uh, to um as a, a kind of a program officer for human trafficking hmm. so this is something that it's in high demand we um we uh, published a few positions recently and, and that we were flooded with applications because this is uh, uh, something, you know, a job, human trafficking. You need to be aware of some of the international mechanisms, of course, the magnitude of the problem. Um, and then have the, the tra- what we call and the rest of the, the HR world called transfer- trans- uh, transferable skills mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you need to know what the project cycle is about because that's the format in which we work. Um, you need to be good in drafting in English, mm. uh, without your supervisor spending two hours a day editing what you did, <laughs> right? That's very important, um, and uh, and uh, of course, uh, you know, be able to to make presentations. Um, th- th- whether you are at the P two level, the more junior level, or the P five as a as a team leader or a section manager, you know, you still have to have that. Yeah. Um, so um, would you have any good
1: tips to share on uh, how would they actually get a job with with you?
0: Um, well, two key things I, 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 I would like to emphasize. Uh, one is, coming back to this example, we advertised a, a post, a P2 post in, in human trafficking, and we received about a 1,000 applications. Mm. Now, this sounds like horror. Uh, which is more than the average we receive, which is about 180 mm. for a professional post. Um, it doesn't make sense to apply for something that you, you don't have a specific experience in. Mm. Uh, and this whole philosophy is, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't done um, human trafficking, but I, uh, I can still try. This still try it doesn't work. Because you need to make it on a long list in the first place. And the long list is about the, the best 15% of the, the thousand Mm. So it's only people who really have worked on, on, in human trafficking somehow mm. and not just done a very generic research job or you work for an embassy but you didn't have much to do with human trafficking. It just doesn't work. Mm. So the one thing is target your application and you have to have something that is really um, uh, specific to the job. Mm. The second thing is many people come to – still I mean, I'm still surprised about that, but they, they, they enter the room and the interview panel – um, is sitting around the table, and they, and they, and and of course, there they, they, are two things. One is we want to know. We we start up with a, a, the usual warm up question to get them into talking mode, which is, you know, tell us a bit why you are motivated hmm. to apply for the job and what wh- about yourself. And people are not prepared to give like a a, a two minute selling pitch of themselves. And said, you know, this is kind of the thread that runs through my professional life to summarize things rather than being like simply chronological they're mm. not able to give like a, a gist of really what they are as professionals mm. so this can be prepared and it can be rehearsed so please applicants should do that right and the other thing is that they sometimes you know they they have no idea about the OEC mm. and we don't expect them to be insiders we don't expect them to be knowledgeable about the organization mm. but they have to do some research mm. and luckily you know there are ways to get that information about what's cooking in the OC mm. just you know people can talk to their foreign affairs uh, or foreign ministries they all have a delegation here in Vienna and most of them are very happy and pleased to help applicants with some information about you know this is what is on the agenda of the OC these are some of the key challenges Um and these are things you should know about the structure, apart from the reading the website. Research a little. Hmm. Uh, and I think from, 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 from applicants' own governments, this can be provided. And usually, people are very happy to share that. Yeah, right. So, it, sometimes it only takes like a, a few phone calls to get that. Um, this, even if you're outside your own country, you can still get, do that. Um, and, uh, and it's just also, you know, it shows in the it shows in the questions. You know, at the end of the interview, of course, we give people the opportunity to ask questions, and we had cases like, "Oh, okay, yeah, tell me about what the OEC is doing," <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it is embarrassing to everyone in the room. Yeah. Um, so questions are not questions. Questions are actually answers. Right. So people should be aware that asking, uh, asking smart and well-informed questions without mm. pretending you know already everything about the organization—that mm. is a way to earn some additional brownie points. Brownie points with us, um, because it also reflects an interest, a genuine interest in what we do, mm. and uh, and that kind of well, you know, kind of wraps up your your performance in the interview. Right. Excellent. Um, so, but it's very, it's very basic. But the, f- the funny thing is, during all my years in HR, you still have li- very limited number of people who actually did it. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. And it's 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 sad because this is not a very you know a a, a very big thing to to to, uh, to do. You know, it's very uh, fundamental in your preparations for an interview.
1: Mm. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you, Jens. No, I think that. <laughs> make sure you meet the requirements for the position. Be if, yep. if you are called for an interview, make sure that you are pre- prepared for the interview. Um, make sure that you research about the organization and, of course, the position, and uh, which shows that you understand what kind of job that you might be entering into. And I think it was a, a good quote that, that questions are, are answers for mm-hmm. the recruiter. So I think really good. And, and we... Um, we all this will of course be able to yeah, be found <laughs> at the transcript of this <laughs> interview afterwards, <laughs> yeah. and and we also have articles about all this yeah, um, at youandjobfjorden.org. So I think it's it's wonderful, Jens. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thanks again for the opportunity. <laughs> um. So, yeah, before we end, yeah, any mm-hmm. final tips or yeah, that you would like to <laughs> share, any advice you can give, or VM yeah, I mean you have already given us so much but um any final
0: words Well I would only encourage to to um people to you know seek an international career with all the downs and ups um with all the, the challenges in a career life fit or work life balance and um but it's uh it's highly rewarding mm-hmm. um and uh um but at the same time, you know, I, f- I felt it also was uh, good for me to leave the uh, the world of international organizations for some time in between and then come back with a new perspective. Um, I think there's no harm in doing that. But, of course, people, you know, fear that, you know, then, of course, I lose my entitlements and other things. So there's always a financial side to it. Um, on the other hand, also, one thing I perhaps... I. I'd like to, to stress at, at the end is um, that what I've come across is that many people in international organizations, of course, you get used to the the, 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 the conditions. You get used to the privilege uh, that you enjoy in terms of the, the compensation you receive and, and all that. And you take it for granted that you have that. And uh, also coming back from a, a national organization where people work just the same amount of time Uh, for half the pay Mm. reminded me to say, you know, it's a reward, it's a privilege to work for an international organization and I should not complain about the stress and about the workload and about, um, you know, a 5% cut in my DSA Mm. um, uh, because um, I'm still, you know, in a privileged position and a lot of other people who work uh, a lot of time and uh, have a, a special effort... But they do it for much less. So you know, it's 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 a it's a special career, we hmm. should not forget about the goodies that we get for for putting in our effort. No.
1: No, exactly. No, I think that's very good, Jens. Thank you so much, and th- thank you for being with us today, and for for being willing to share all of your. Insights and wisdom and experience. is what you've told us has been truly valuable. Thank you so much. Thank you very much again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jens Berendt from the OSCE. Jens, thank you so much for joining the show. And once again, thank to all of you who's been sending us feedback. That's really appreciated to hear what you like and what you don't like and what we can improve with the show. So keep that feedback coming. You can send us all that via Twitter at UNJobFinder, via Facebook.com forward slash UNJobFinder, or directly via the contact form that you'll find at unjobfinder.org forward slash contact. So if you want to be sure that you receive all the new episodes, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Showing what you think of this show and leaving an honest review on iTunes is something that we really appreciate. You know that you will be able to find all the show notes, transcript of the show at unjobfinder.org forward slash podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.